2: Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast with Tony Maradero.
1: 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur. Coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it in to the mare back to Le Flux. Oh!
2: The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. <laughs> you know I, I, you're in the ball! Oh! Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoins, on lui fait perdre la rondelle une place devant. Et c'est le monde, il faut que les Canadiens, ce sera la
1: victoire des Canadiens. Woohoo! Pour les Canadiens, le fact troisième de l'histoire. You found the dogs! John, you found the dogs! He found the dogs! And all together, they worked a young team to the top. And now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous Forum in Montreal. The Canadians
2: win the Stanley Cup! Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. 8.6 beer. Intense by nature. And Lakage. If the last time you went to Lacage was when the Habs won the Cup, it's time you went back to Lacage. It's gonna be sick.
1: Marinero, the Sick Podcast. Some podcasts are better than others. This one uh, looks like uh, it has the makings of being something pretty special. I would think. I'm very look, uh, very much looking forward to a conversation with Jeff Gordon, who should join us in about. A minute, the Executive Vice President of Hockey Operations of the Montreal Canadiens. The SICK Podcast brought to you in part by Energy Transportation Group 8.6 Beer and Lacage. I'll talk to you about them very quickly if I can. If you ship commercial freight and want to impress your boss with how much money you can save, you get in touch with the logistics professionals at Energy Transportation Group. Email them at sick at shipenergy.com or visit their website at shipenergy.com. 8.6 Dot com. 8.6 beer, intense by nature, the beer for those who follow their instinct and live their passions in order to make their mark. And Lacage. If the last time you went to Lacage was when the Habs won the cup, that's a long time ago. That's back in 1993. Well, it's time you go back to Lacage. The menu will surprise you. And just like that, I'm hearing we have our guy. And once again, here he is, the executive vice president of hockey operations of the Montreal Canadiens, Jeff Gordon. Thank you very much for doing this. No problem, Tony. How you doing tonight? I'm very well. How are you? No complaints. Where uh, Where are you right now? Is that Broussard or where are you? No, I'm at the Bell Center. Yeah. You're at the Bell Center? Yeah.
0: You wouldn't like my internet in my apartment. Uh,
1: I hear you, but please tell me you didn't go to the Bell Center at this time at 10.04 just for me. Just for you. Oh. Just for you. Oh Well, then I I thank you very, very much. <laughs> very nice of you. Uh, Jeff. Uh, You know, a lot of people know your your hockey background with Boston and New York uh, prior to the Montreal Canadiens, but I'd love it if we can get to know you because I don't know you that well either. I mean, can you Mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about your youth?
0: Uh, Well, pretty normal growing up in Boston. Uh, You know, just played a lot of sports. You know, middle, three boys. Um, You know, a lot of fighting at home. You know, get the competitive stuff out. Um, But... Pretty normal life, uh, pretty pretty normal upbringing. You know, Bruins fan, obviously growing up, uh, huge hockey fan, played a lot of hockey, played football, played baseball, played a little bit of everything, so uh, it's kind of how it all started, I guess.
1: You still get teased from some of your uh, childhood friends that you're now working for the Montreal Canadiens? Yeah, not really.
0: I think they, they like it. They certainly like coming and visiting. They, they love Montreal to, to have some fun, so uh, so far so good, but uh, I think everyone uh, enjoys the fact that I'm here.
1: How's Montreal treating you?
0: It's been great. You know, I, I love the city. Uh, the organization has been terrific. Um, you know, fans have been very welcoming, and, uh, you know, I'm enjoying it.
1: Like Boston and like New York, no shortage of good restaurants, huh?
0: No, there's not, and I'm, I'm sure you have quite a few for me off air, too. Uh, I,
1: I I love it. Uh, and, I'm you know, the next question is, when are we going to go? Uh, you tell me. I know you're the one who's a lot busier than I am. Uh Jeff, when did you know that you said to yourself, uh, I want to work in hockey and whatever it's going to take to get there, I'm going to try and do it. When did you know? Uh, good question.
0: Well, I, I knew early on that I wasn't good enough to play at the highest level. So I started trying to figure out, you know, another way. Um, and then, you know, when I when I got out of college, uh, I was looking around trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I just happened to go to grad school and and uh, be in a sport management program where, kind of opened my eyes to some things I got an internship with the Bruins and and got a peek at what uh, the NHL was like a little bit and uh, so I would say probably in grad school when I had an internship and I was starting with the Bruins I said oh maybe maybe this could turn into something whether it was going to be in hockey I I didn't know I hoped but you know you got to be at the right place at the right time right
1: so I know a little bit more about you now than um, than I did before because I didn't and, uh, you know, my first connection with you, obviously, I, once again, I knew your Boston background and the Bruins and the Rangers, but I remember your first presser. You remember it? I do, yeah. All right. Yeah. And so I have something for you. Let's go to it right now. All
0: right. Hello. Uh, talking about candidates, yeah. you already have one who made it officially that he's interested. Yeah. You must have heard about Patrick Boyd. I I've heard of him, yes.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You made the room laugh, and you made me laugh. I thought it was a great way of breaking the ice. And uh, it, not that I, I want to, uh, uh, you know, uh, suck up to you here, but I have to tell you, I just, I took a, look, a liking to you right away after that comment. I said, <laughs> this is a funny guy. But at the same time, you showed me in that presser, you were funny. You were a great listener. You were very analytical. Uh, it seemed like you, you were very businesslike. But uh, Jeff Gordon has a sense of humor. You made me laugh. All right, I got a new agent. You're my uh, guy now. There we go. Good, yeah, good. It's yeah. about time I start making money in my life. Yeah.
0: Well, you have to have some fun in this business too, right?
1: Uh, you're right about that. Uh, yeah. I, I want to talk about Kent Hughes because obviously it was your first real big decision. You bring Kent on. Um, did you have the same vision right away?
0: Um. Yeah, yes, I think so. I, I think we were talking the same language. Uh, what needed to be done and where we wanted to go and how we wanted our teams to play. Uh, I think that's never really changed. We agree. We always agree on
1: that. All right. So having the vision is one thing, but trying to get there, you can get there different ways. Did you also agree on how you have to get to where you want to go? Um, I mean, there's so many different things that
0: happen and decisions that have to be made to say that we agree on everything would be a lie. But we agree on most things um, on the way we wanted to build our team and the way we want to move forward and what we believe in and the character we want to have, the coaching staff, uh, you know, uh, how we want to build player development. A lot of those discussions we had, we agreed on. Um, Was it always the same person we wanted, we agreed on? No, but it was almost the same philosophies on things.
1: A lot of people are watching right now via our YouTube channel live on Twitter, live on Facebook live. Uh, so, uh, once again, comment sick, if you enjoy the podcast, uh, Kent, uh, a lot of people wondered how this I'll call it a, a double headed monster will go that you, <laughs> you kind of work together in unison. How's it been? It's been good. You know, it's, uh,
0: we're, uh, like i said we we agree on a lot we have the same kind of vision for the team but we're very different people and i think we challenge each other every day um he's uh you know he's coming from a background that uh you know obviously i know a little bit about and having dealt with that side for a long time and and uh you know partner up with those people to, to make deals but he's but his uh his perspective and and where he's coming from and his insight to players and having you know been really close to some really good players in the league i I think it's helped us as we, as we're moving forward here.
1: From Kent on to Nick Suzuki, what was your first impression of him? Um, well, I have to
0: say like, when I first got here, he was like the first guy I wanted to see because of the deal that he had signed. And, uh, you know, from day one, I've always been impressed. Um, I I tell everybody, I didn't know how good he was until I got here. And, uh, the more, you watch him uh, go about his business off the ice and then you watch him on ice. Like the other night against Pittsburgh, his game was at another level and he continues to get better. So I got really excited really quickly because, you know, you join a new franchise and, and uh, a couple things you want to look for and, and you want to try to find a number one center. And I didn't know if they had one. And then the more I watched them, I was uh, I was pretty impressed with Nick.
1: Uh, you know, we're pretty excited too, because uh, Montreal Canadiens players picking up more than a point per game. We haven't seen that in a long time. I could be wrong here, but I think if memory serves me well, I think we've got to go back 15 years. Alex Kovalev, I think picked up 84 points one season. Um, you know, you said you were really impressed right off the bat. And then against Pittsburgh the other night, he was on another level where he just, he made hockey look really, really easy. Yeah. Uh, how good can he be? Like there's there's no doubt, you know, when everyone talks about you need a number one centerman to win the Stanley Cup, at least, he's yeah. a number one centerman for sure. There's no doubt, eh?
0: I mean I, I certainly think that now, yeah. I uh you consider his age, the way he plays the two hundred foot game, uh, the way he rises to occasions, the way he makes people better. Um uh, and like I said, from the moment I got here till now, he 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 just keeps getting better. So, you know, he's a, he's a point of game guy now. Uh, there's no reason to think that he's not going to continue to do those kind of things. So for me, yeah, I think our organization feels very strong
1: that he's, you know, a number one center. Can you remember the night, the day, the play, the goal, the assist, the game, whatever, where you and Kent looked at each other and you said, he, he's our guy, so he's he's going to be a number one centerman?
0: Um, I think, I can't remember the game, but it's more to do without the puck. He reverse hit somebody. And Ken and I looked at each other, like, "All right, you know, like this is uh, this is more than just an offensive player. Um, this is somebody that gets it." And you know, he was uh, he w- he wasn't happy. He was he was feisty. We weren't winning, and somebody came at him, and he reverse hit him and dropped him, and and uh, you know, it made us feel pretty good. We we both have uh, you know a pretty close relationship with Patrice Bergeron, and kind of looked at each other and, and thought, you know, that's, those are the kind of things that Patrice does.
1: Right? Your hiring of um, of Marty San Louis. It wasn't unanimous, right? It didn't come without criticism because some said, you know, the lack of experience. He's an assistant coach or a coach of a Pee Wee team or a Bantam team or whatever it is. Yeah. Today, you guys are looking brilliant with that hire. I mean, it's the team is so fun to watch, and Marty seems to be getting uh, a lot out of a lot of his players. What do you, what would you say to those critics today? uh, Why you and Kent were convinced that it was going to work with Marty or.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I would think today there's probably a lot less critics than there were that day. Um, But listen, it was a belief that we both had that we agreed um, strongly that as we move forward, and if you can remember, if you're going to play clips from that press conference, I also said we were going to keep Dom too, right? So, uh, you know, I believe that we probably should, you know, keep Dom to the end of the year. It just became a, a thing where, you know, we decided we had to make a change for the best going forward. We did that and... You know, the first name Kent and I keep talking about was Marty. It was always Marty. And, you know, having history with him back at the Rangers, um, you know, where and where he's raising his family and I was raising my family and Kent's history with him, it, it was it was easy. You know, we, we knew that even when he was playing, he was coaching. You know, everybody that ever played with him in New York always talked about Marty as as, as like a third coach or fourth coach, whoever it is today. Uh, and his input on the game and and their lives. So I always knew he'd be a good coach. Kent always knew he'd be a good coach. We always agreed on that. And, of course, uh, we knew there would be criticism and people would be saying, what are they doing? Uh, But I give Marty all the credit in the world. You know, he came here uh, last year without a contract, you know, he did his own thing. He put everything on the t- on the table. He put his chips on the table, so to speak, um, right to the middle of the table, really. And uh, he said, I'll show you. If you're not happy, then do something else. And that's that's kind of how Marty lives his life. And, uh, you know, that's probably the biggest reason why Kent and I are so attracted to, to him to come here.
1: I'm happy to say that I'm on record as loving the hire from day one. Yeah. Loved your hire and Kent's hire, too, by the way. Uh, but I, I always thought he'd be a good coach because I thought he had it and he got it. But the more I watch him, Jeff, and the more I see the way Suzuki's playing and the way Caulfield's playing and the way Kirby Doc is playing and the way the young players are playing and the way they push the pace and the way you always have the puck and the way, you know, the Corsi numbers are really good and the way you're the aggressor. And I, you know, he does not get out coached by some of the better coaches in the game. I mean, you just played Pittsburgh for the second time in the season. Mike Sullivan's not too shabby a coach. It was your team that was the aggressor. And I'm starting to think that I was wrong thinking that Marty's going to be a good coach because I'm starting to think that Marty has what it takes to be a great coach.
0: Well, I mean, when you think about all the things you need to be a coach, you know, you have to know the game. You have to be able to adapt to different situations. You know, I think one of the things he, hes a great communicator. But I also think, you know, he understands the player as well. Like I—I I do believe, and I've told a lot of people this, and Marty will tell people this. When he—when he walks into a room, there's nobody in that room that can't identify with him, right? Because he wasn't drafted. You know, guys, there's some, there's some guys in there that can identify with that. He was—he didn't walk right into the league and get all kinds of opportunities. He had to earn it. He went to the minors. He was healthy scratch. He had to play, be a penalty killer. You know, he basically got traded, you know, he got traded, he's been with other organizations, and then he became an all-star, and then he won a Stanley Cup, and MVP. So there's nothing he hasn't done. So there's nobody in that room that could say, how did this, how's this guy going to get me? Because he's done, you know, all that. So I think that walking into a room is really helpful. Um, and then his personality. He wants people to play. He doesn't want to take the stick out of their hands. Um, he gives them the freedom to play. But yet I think, you know, the players are meeting him halfway because they respect him a lot.
1: The effect he has on Caulfield, I think it was a couple of weeks ago where he said, listen, everyone knows that Cole is a great goal scorer, but you know what? We're going to try and work to make him a better player, to make him a great player. Cole Caulfield's a much better player today than he was a year ago. I mean, uh, you you see him separating guys from the puck. You see him on the back check. You see him more responsible in his own zone. Uh, He's doing great work with him." Well, he is,
0: you know, there's other players too, but, you know, Cole's probably the most identifiable from somebody when he got here, had, I guess, the one goal, and then he's turned it around. He scores, uh, you know, quite a bit since. So, uh, yeah, I mean, listen, again, Cole can look at Marty and and probably see a lot of himself and how he had to play as a smaller player, uh, how he had to make it, you know, and, uh, you know, obviously once he walked in here, Marty and Cole, obviously felt a reboot and was able to uh, you know take off from there so
1: it's been fun to watch every management team wants the best bang for their buck they want to be as as much under the cap as they can um, with every goal that Cole scores uh yeah I'm saying to myself uh, okay assign this guy already so can you there's a bunch yep. of people watching right now and I, I think everyone's confident that Cole is going to be a Montreal Canadian for a long time. At least we all hope so. So how is that going? Yeah. Uh, Well,
0: um, we've had conversations with Cole's agent about when is the right time and when it's not going to be a distraction. And he understands where we are and that we want Cole to be here a long time. And Cole wants the same thing. So I I have no worries at all about Cole and, and being a Montreal Canadian for a while. Not at all. We have a great relationship with his agent, and like I said, Cole's a huge part of this team, and he wants to be here. So, you know, that time will come, you know, whether it's a week, a month, or two months, uh, you know, works we're, we'll, we're just getting to that now. But I would say to the, your listeners and yourself, don't worry about it. Cole's going to be here.
1: Should you want to attract free agents? We all know that Montreal, it's, it's difficult to attract free agents, right? Some don't want to come because of uh, maybe the team wasn't, uh, a team that was a Stanley Cup contender for the most part uh, over the last 20 years or so. Uh, there's taxes, there's, uh, there's, 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 there's language, there's, 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 there's weather, there's, there's no beach, you probably can't play all that much golf, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there's a lot of media like me, and we're not always fun to be around. But the way you're playing right now and the effect that Marty's having on the team, if you wanted to attract free agents in the short term, is that the number one selling point right now, the way the team plays? It looks like guys are having fun playing hockey.
0: Um, it's, that's a great question. I think, you know, when I think of free agency and what we have to sell here, you know, I think there's a lot, right? I think Marty, uh, the way he plays, his brand of hockey, as he likes to say, uh, is, is very enticing to any player, I think, um, the way he allows them to play. I think the players, the young players we have in this organization – um, would be very appealing, um, but it's also it's Montreal and it's the Montreal Canadiens, and you don't have to look too far. I mean, I, I think back uh, almost. I mean, I, I could look every night and be reminded of why how much fun it is to play here and how much it, a player. How, how can you not get excited about the crowd here every night right now? And I, I think back to the last game of the year last year, we were 32nd in the league. These guys got a standing ovation for the way they played. Uh, it's a great place to play. If you want to play hockey where people care, you know this is the right place to come.
1: Marty said something that caught my attention. It's in French, but don't worry, I'll translate. If we can play the clip right now. Ça peut être bon plus vite
3: que
1: vous pensez. Ça peut se construire de même. Je sais pas. Je sais pas. Honnêtement, on s'en fait vraiment pas que le résultat. Il y a aucun classement dans notre championnat. On a pas de classement. Non. On n'a pas de classement. On so he was asked you guys did you think you were going to be this good in your record and it's eight six and one and he says i'm i don't, i do not really know but i mean we we don't look at the standings we don't we don't have the standings up in our room um yeah. i i've never been in an NHL locker room other than interviewing some of the players but i would be willing to bet that most of the teams if not all of them probably have the standings up somewhere uh, was that something that was discussed that this team was not going to have standings up there? And if not, what's the thought process behind it? Well,
0: I think when he got here, the last thing anybody wanted to see was the standings, right? So <laughs> that, that, that was a, probably a part of it. Um, so we did, he did get rid of him right away. Um, you know, carrying it over to this season. I, I think it just works. You know, he preaches about today, you know, the next game. Um, and, you know, the standings. We all have phones. Everyone's got the internet, social media. We all know the standings. So I, I think that's the thought process behind that. But listen, Marty's different. His staff is different. Forward thinking. I think they're uh, they're very intelligent. They're they're making each other better. I'm watching them work. I'm very impressed. Uh, so I, I just think they have a bunch of ideas because they were all players. They all kind of get the players' mind. And I think they all just came to a, an agreement that you know the standings. You know, Whether we're in the top of the standings or the bottom, it, it doesn't matter. We're, we're telling these guys we want the best from them in the next game.
1: So that's, that's as simple as it is. Jeff, I'd like to get back to Nick Suzuki if I can because when the talk of the captaincy came up, I'm not going to lie to you, I, I didn't want Suzuki to have it because I said eight-year contract, it's a lot of money, it's already difficult to perform in Montreal. There's going to be added pressure. There's no doubt that he's a great player and there's no doubt that he'll be a great captain. But I figure you know what, why don't you give it to someone else for the next couple of years, and then he's got a couple of more years to mature and be ready and stuff like that. I was thinking Joel Edmondson two years, and then Suzuki. Boy, was I wrong, because it almost seems like Suzuki's thriving on having that C, and it's bringing out the best in him. How how easy or not was it to make him the captain of this hockey team? Because I imagine... You probably thought about what I just brought up, of course, but you must have been thinking he's going to pass it with flying colors.
0: Yeah, I think uh, you know he's an interesting guy. He has for a young guy, he's very mature. Um, you know, he's, we use this sort of like that. Um, yeah. But you know, I think it's the his teammates, the guys that aren't here that were pretty successful here, the guys that are here, the way they looked at him the way everybody thought about him in the organization, uh, the timing of where the organization was at. And, you know, it, had we named another person captain for a couple of years, yeah, maybe it would have bought him time. But, you know, at the same time, I think Nick at the at this time, where our team was, where we're going, his youth, he, you know, being our best player, uh, I, I just think it was, you know, we all pretty much came to the unanimous decision that he could handle it, Players knew he could handle it, and uh, let's see what he can do. So, uh, you know, credit to everybody in the organization. But guys like Shea Weber and Carey Price that have been around him for a while, uh, they they were pretty pretty helpful letting us know that uh, this guy's definitely a captain
1: in this league. When you guys acquired Kirby Dock at the draft, I said to myself, all right, you know what, here it is. They found themselves uh, a centerman for many, many years to come, drafted third overall, a big centerman. And, um, you know, he was switched to the wing to play with Caulfield and Suzuki. I think he's got like 14 points in 15 games, and he's like 12 points off of his career high. Bob Hartley told BPM Sports Radio earlier this morning that there's less thinking to do on the wing, of course, and he feels like Doc is playing more free. Having said that, I mean, is it too early to make the determination that he might actually be a winger instead of a centerman? Uh, yes or no, and why? And and if he is a winger, I mean, does it does it change anything? Or would you you know would you guys have made that deal anyway, like knowing? Yeah, I think so.
0: World? I think so. But uh, I mean, I, I think we still think of him as a center. I listen. You ask if you ask Kirby, you know, where do you want to play? You want to play center? You want to play wing? I think he's going to say to you, "Who am I playing with?" Right? And that's you know that's how people think. Right? The guys want to play with the best players and. You know, if you want me to play in the wing with those guys, I'm I'm all in. If you want me to play center, I'll do that, too. But I I think we look forward uh, to him at center. But right now, I think Marty's found something that's really working. You know, he thinks at their level. He's got uh, really good chemistry with those two players on and off the ice. Um, So, you know, why not go with it, right? And, you know, we do have a little bit of luxury of having some centers right now on our team um, that can do some other things for us, too. Um, So... Listen, I, everyone makes a, a big deal out of the face-offs, and is he a center? I think deep down, I think Kirby's a center. I think he'll be fine at draws. He's working at it. But right now, the way the team's playing, the way that line's clicking, you know, why change it?
1: When I saw him at center early on and, and he was having some struggles in the face-off circle, I said to myself, would be great for Vinny LeCavalier to get on the ice and maybe work with him? Is that something that's been considered? Yeah.
0: Yep, absolutely. Some we talk about all the time. Um, he's working out a lot. Um, Vinny's actually—he's built some relationships with some guys on our teams. He talks to them on the phone all the time, so
1: um, he's helping a lot. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, speaking of great young players, Caden Gooley versus the Penguins. Two games now he's played against them. I think he's totaled forty-six minutes, um, four assists plus two. Crosby's been pointless. He he did a great job versus Austin Matthews at the beginning of the season and Alexander Ovechkin. Uh, I think it's safe to say that everyone in the National Hockey League, he's he's making a name for himself. This kid,
0: yeah, without question, I I think that. uh, Listen, that's a great pick by those guys that that got him here, right? So um, great, elite skater Uh, again. Personality like Nick, like low maintenance, um, just plays hockey, um, but what he's done and how he's come on these first 15 games. I don't think anybody, we'd all be lying to say we totally expected him to do that. Um, in fact, I would say early on in camp, a little bit of slow start at the rookie camp and then once we started playing games at the NHL level, it's it's been uh, it's been very really impressive. And you know, we all have some friends around the league and the first question they ask me all the time is what about that goalie? So, he's uh,
1: it's not just Montreal that's noticing. But he's an untouchable. Or does that does that term exist in your vocabulary, untouchable, touchable? or uh,
0: I mean, it, it, it doesn't exist on a podcast at 11 o'clock at night. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I would say to you the It's 1028. I, <laughs> I would say that we have a really good player. And uh, we all recognize the importance of defense and guys that can play against the best players of the league. So I'll leave it at that. Uh, I if the agents watching.
1: Yeah, I hear you. I won't keep you much longer, Jeff. Uh, so uh, I'll. Uh, there won't be too many other tough questions. A year ago, if if Canadians fans were in a bar and they were talking about Arbor Jackeye and no one would bet that a year later that he would be on the team. So I asked you before, at what point you and Kent knew that Nick Suzuki could be the captain of this team, or or he could be the um, the number one sentiment on this team. At what point was it that you and Kent looked at each other and said, "I think this guy's going to make this team."
0: uh I think in the Maritimes when we were playing two games there our last two games on the preseason um, just that he you know he has he just he's, he's way more skilled than people think for his size. Uh, he moves really well. Uh, when he makes a mistake he generally learns from it. Um, he's very good on the blue line walking offensively. there's just all these little things I, I think those two games you know we were trying to think of a reason to send him down um, because we thought maybe it would be good for him and to play more and play 25 minutes but you know uh he carved out a niche pretty early for us um he's uh he does a lot of really good things he's only getting better so you know right now uh you know he's he's just thinking day to day which i love about him and uh, but he's you know listen if you if you said did i jot down on a piece of paper our lineup and was he on it in the offseason absolutely not um which is a great story
1: I love that footage uh, behind the scenes at the draft and when, you know, the entire Montreal Canadiens brass is there and you're talking about the players. And Nick Babrov made a, a, a great case for your eyes, Um, We all know how tough it is in your rookie season, especially when you're 18, especially when it's the Montreal Canadiens. Has he shown you a sign or two yet that he can be what you guys think he can be?
0: Oh, I think so. I think, listen, there's a his whole package is is something that's really hard to find that's how we felt then that's how we feel now um you know he's finding his way and he's had his moments um but i i believe he's getting better all the time i think we saw that before the suspension um we see him getting better and better so this is a hard league it's harder and harder for these guys i don't care if you're first overall wherever you're coming from to come into this league at 18 19 it's so well coached the players are so fast uh, there's a lot happening, culture changes in his mind. So I think he's doing really well with it. We're really impressed, and uh, I do think his upside is huge.
1: Before you talked about, in Jack Eye's case, you are wondering whether or not you should send them down. Um, I'm wondering, the American Hockey League team, I've heard in the past hockey people say, you know, it's great if you can play the same system so that when the player comes up, He's used to the same system. He's used to playing. He can fit like a glove. But can the American Hockey League team play the same way this team is playing? Or is that not possible because you don't have the same players and you don't have the same skill level?
0: No, I think it's possible. They're they're doing it. They're trying to play the same way. Um, And it's been a little bit of an adjustment, right, because they didn't do it last year, right, without Marty here. So um, they're making changes to the way they play. They're doing it. Uh, Yeah, you can definitely play the same style, you know. Um, is there, you know, Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield and, and Sean Monahan's? um, at, no, but at their level, they're doing it. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely think there can be a seamless, you know, uh, a way of doing it. And, and, uh, I think they're doing a pretty good job.
1: Speaking of doing a pretty good job, Mike Hoffman has four goals in his last three games. Took a while to get going, but now he's starting to find the back of the net, which obviously is great news. Um, it's it's not going as fast. It's going a little bit slower for Jonathan Drouin. In Dadunov's case, uh, in terms of production, that is, it hasn't worked out at all. Have you and Kent been able to put your finger on why it seems like um, they haven't been able to pr- produce expectations?
0: Uh, well, I, I think, you know, the, the thing about it is we don't really have, a, I would say, a traditional fourth line, so to speak. You know, we're trying to you know, they're offensive players, right? So there, there's only so many power players. There's only so much to go around sometimes with these guys. So, you know, Dadunov has been a 20-goal scorer, you know, pretty much his whole career. And, you know, we're trying to find him enough ice time to, to recreate some of that. But at the same time, we've got a lot of young players that, that are up in those spots too. So you, you're trying to, you know, to, to work it all in. And, you know, some of the you know, Joe, Drew, Ann, same thing. So I think Marty's doing a good job of, you know, giving them some time up there, and then he's got to, and then he's got to give some to Slavkowski to get him his ice. So It's a hard balancing act coaching, um, especially you know, we probably didn't do him any favors. We had like fifteen forwards here for a while, mm-hmm. you know, that's why Pitlick. So you know, he's trying to do his best and give everybody ice time. But you got to remember it when when you're an offensive player and, and you're not getting you know, you're not on the first or second line,
1: you're not on a power play. It's pretty hard to produce. That traditional fourth line you just talked about, that still exists in the National Hockey League because I imagine you're you're referring to an energy line, a line that goes out there yeah. and finishes their, you know, their, their checks and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, but it, you know, like Jake Evans is a really good player and an underrated player for us. Yeah. You know, right now he's centering our fourth line. I, I think, you know, I think we're pretty good at forward and a, at pretty deep and I think sometimes – you know, Jake's playing on the fourth line, killing penalties. There's probably more offense if he had, you know, if he wasn't on this team right now. So and mm-hmm. I think he's, we've seen that from him in the past. So we know that. And we have some guys maybe we're just, you know, we're trying to play an offensive brand of hockey where we don't have every we don't have opportunity for everybody to have offensive chances every night. You know, sometimes you get 10 minutes, sometimes you get 15. Um, but, you know, guys like Nick and Caulfield and these guys. You know, and you see in Doc, he's getting more ice time. He's producing, playing with the top guys, right? So yeah,
1: we yeah. we talked about this Slavkowski pick before at number one, but Owen Beck looks like he's going to be a good one at thirty three. He does,
0: yeah. Huh? He's uh, that's really exciting to see him in camp, do what he did, exactly what the scouts told us he was going to be. His uh, exciting. So I I feel great about the scouts coming in and and uh, putting the stamp on this guy, and and when he came in and he was above all of our expectations, and he goes back and. You know, every night we're looking at his stats and following him and uh, what he's
1: doing. So, he's got a really exciting future for us, for sure. Where would you see him slotting in? Like, if you had to say, second line center, third line center, are you more comfortable with one over the other? Is it second a reach? Uh, well, I wouldn't put a ceiling on him. Okay. I would think that uh,
0: you know, you look around the league, you see some of the players that you would compare him to. You know, he's definitely has a at least a makeup of a third line center. Yeah. And I would say his ceiling's higher than that.
1: I want to end with something, okay? Uh, Be totally transparent with you here. And I know it's a previous administration. It's got nothing to do with you, but it's a very, very quick story. So back in 2009, the Canadians had something like eight or nine or ten free agents. But it coincided with the centennial year. And so they chose to to get into the playoffs. And they went out, I think, four straight versus the Boston Bruins. And then in the offseason, they lost pretty much all their free agents for nothing. And I was going pretty nuts on the radio because... Those were assets that I thought that you could have traded at the deadline and you could have stockpiled draft picks. And ever since then, I've been on the bandwagon for the rebuild. Yeah. Now, a couple of years ago, I wasn't looking too smart because the team made it to the Stanley Cup final. Right. But once they didn't win, then it gave me an opportunity to say, you see, I told you they should have rebuilt. But I love where this team is going. It looks like they want to rebuild. But I did not expect this team to be 8-6-1. and one. I don't want to complain about winning here or where they are in the standings right. because yeah. the city is happy and it's a beautiful thing. But can you understand someone like me hearing about how good the top three or four players are going to be in the draft? Now, having said that, we're hearing it's going to be a very deep draft, okay? Maybe yeah. as deep as 2003 or deeper. But the top three players, by most accounts, are labeled as generational talents and i'm seeing a generational talent slip away do you understand my concern i mean i hear you but
0: <laughs> there is 32 teams in the league right and so you're you know even if you thought like that and it all happened you still things have to fall into place for you to to be able to do that i, I always i believe that winning and a culture of winning um, is the best way to rebuild the franchise Around winning, I think there's a lot of young players here. There's a lot coming. Um, you know what happens in the future. We have two first-round picks uh, this year. We have multiple coming up too. So in the next couple of years, so uh, I feel really good about where we're at that way. I, I don't. There's nobody in the organization that's talking about you know uh, having a bad season to get a really good player. Players don't think like that. The coaches, believe me, I watch them every day. They're not thinking about that. No, uh, but I understand why fans do and I get it and getting your hands on a, uh, a player that might be generational what it would mean to the franchise for sure but it's it's very hard to tell uh, hockey players 82 games you know let's let's go get them the following year you know what I mean
1: you know no, no, no. With, you, you, yeah. you obviously don't do that but in a year yeah. for example a year ago where yeah. you traded Kulak and you traded to foley yeah. and you traded Sharat uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you traded Lekinin if you trade away some of your depth, chances yep. are it's going to be hard to win games right so right. Uh, i'm just i'm looking at colorado i'm looking at colorado and and uh, mckinnon was drafted at 1 and landeskog was drafted at 2 and McCarr and Bowen byron were drafted at 4 and rantanen was drafted at 10 and in there there's some other players that they went out and acquired i think kadri was probably 7 and uh, and uh, Johnson was a former first-round pick. So there's several. Nichuskin, yeah. I think, was a 10-2. It, it seems to me that the teams that have won the Cup, and there are exceptions, mm-hmm. had to go through a rebuild and ended up getting that number one centerman, maybe even that number two centerman, and many players that were drafted in the top five or six or top ten. And that's why I'm thinking that that's probably the best way to get there. Am I wrong? Um, well,
0: I think if you look back in the last 20 years, you probably, there's there's something to what you're saying, but not always. Um, but I also think if you look, Kirby Doc's a third pick overall, right? Yeah. Um, you know, Nick was, well, Suzuki was picked where, 15, 16? 13, I believe. Probably should have been higher now, now that you can see it, right? Cole, yeah. same kind of thing. So, you know, we have a lot of those guys like Gooley. You know, if you if you did a redraft right now, I'm pretty sure Gouley's going to come out higher. Like, there's a lot of guys that are top ten picks uh, that should have been top ten picks here, right? So, uh, I, I feel good about it. Now you got slipkowski There's another one, so I feel good about where we're at, where we're going. I believe, I do believe, Marty believes, uh, everyone in this organization that there is commerce to the way you do things. When you try to win. You 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 know you you have this culture of winning. If you let your franchise sip, slip a little bit. And, and, and things creep in about losing and, and a negative attitude around the organization. It's hard to get out of it. And I, I think that uh, if Marty's brought us anything, I, I think he's changed the culture in there. And I think people want to play here. They want to be here. They can see the upside of where we're going. And there's nobody in the room that doesn't think we can't win you know, each, each and every game. So that's what we have. That's, what, you know, that's how we're going to build it. And uh, I, I think
1: it's going to be fine as we move forward. So my very last one for you, so you can leave the bell center before 11 (laughs) o'clock. Yeah. Uh, It's a hypothetical. If the trade deadline was two or three weeks away Mm -hmm. after saying what you just said, this team would be a buyer?
0: Um, I don't
1: know. That's a good question. I, I, I don't know
0: where we, you know, I don't know where we'd look if we were, I would say to you that we're game 15. I like to go a game at a time and see what we're doing. Um, it's a good question, I, and I know why you want to know, and I know why the fans would want to know. But listen, I let's play it out. Weird things happen in this league sometimes. Um, but as we move along, you know, I think we're going to keep our eye on the future of this franchise. We're going to try to have a team that's built for uh, the long haul, not one time. Um, so those will make decisions with all that in mind.
1: It's as so fun.
0: That's probably a good way to dodge your question, but that's, that's I got the best
1: answer. Yeah. Jeff, it's as fun talking to you as it is watching this team. And I really mean that. And I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Uh, It's so much fun to watch your team. And I have to tell you that in previous years, it wasn't always as fun. And um, like you said, they gave them a standing ovation last year and uh, they're pushing the pace and they're, they're being the aggressor and, and I love offensive hockey and we're seeing it. So congratulations on the style of play. Congratulations on, a record of eight, six, and one after 15 games. And congratulations on the work that you and Kent and Marty and everyone have been doing, because once again, it's uh, it's very promising.
0: I appreciate it, Tony. Thanks for the opportunity and uh, I'll see you out at dinner sometime.
1: Okay. And I hope we can do this again sometime, well, not soon, but I mean, I won't take advantage, yeah. but before the end yeah. of the year.
0: Well, my wife always tells me I'm not for everyone. So let's have so, let's let some time go by and <laughs> then we'll, we'll do it again.
1: Uh, thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Okay. All have right, a great care. night. There you have it. The executive vice president of hockey operations of the Montreal Canadiens, Jeff Gordon. Uh, wow. Uh, I got to tell you, I really, really like this guy. All right. I like the next guy who's coming up as well. Uh, before we get to him, a shout out to Playground who has over 600 machines, poker tournaments, and playground casino games, daily promotions, and unmatched customer service. Why go anywhere else? Located just over the Mercier Bridge, only minutes from downtown Montreal. And there you have it. Joining me right now, as he does usually on Mondays, but it's a bit earlier. We had to push him. We told him, Eric, uh, can you join us a little bit later on? Because Jeff Gordon's going to join us. And he said, sure, no problem from Sportsnet. At Sportsnet.ca, Eric Engels, how are you? I'm doing good, Tony. How are you? Very, very good. Man, it's fun talking to him.
3: Yeah, I was one of the first people to do it a year ago, and I wrote a piece about modernizing the Canadians. And I think a lot of people thought Jeff Gordon was coming to the Canadians just to rebuild the hockey team, but there was a lot to rebuild around the organization, and I think COVID was kind of a stress test that the Canadians failed. It's not necessarily that – you know, it created all these issues that they had. It more exposed some of them that they had. You know, beyond the ice, and you know, good on Jeff Molson for recognizing that some changes needed to go down. And this is not to denigrate Mark Burseman. Mark Burseman to me is an excellent, excellent hockey man. Um, Jeff Gordon came in with a different wealth of experience, yeah, in, in working with premier organizations like the Rangers and the Bruins before that, and virtually working his way up from an internship with the Bruins to becoming an interim GM and then the work that he did in New York and the experience he had, you know, specific to not only building up the team there, but the organization. And so I just think such a critical hire by Molson, um, no matter who was in his ear advising him about it. A lot of people said, oh, you know, this was all Gary Bettman and this. I mean. like, who cares? You know, you listen to people who you trust that are around you. Jeff Molson has a good relationship with Gary Bettman as a board of governor member, as a key governor. Um, and, you know, to to hear him out and say you should speak to Jeff Gordon and go meet with him, um, if that's in fact what happened, that's always been the rumor here. Um, it didn't take long, I don't think, for Jeff Gordon to convince uh, to convince jeff molson that he was the right man for the job in front of him and look at what's happened since there's been a dramatic change here within the organization not just on the ice
1: yeah mark bergevin's expertise was in player evaluation right especially at the pro level and yes there may have been one or two that slipped away or that he got wrong but for the most part i think he had a real good track record i thought mark bergevin won like the majority of his trades which is a hard thing to do in the national hockey league when you make trades and you're hitting at about 80 or 85%. But he's, he's someone who likes to um, micromanage and, and, and take everything on his shoulders. And Jeff Gordon, I think, maybe likes to delegate a little bit more and, and, and put trust in his people and stuff like that. And I think maybe uh, a little bit more um, um, managing people skills. Uh, I, think, I think Mark Bergman had a really
3: hard time trusting everybody, you know, widening his circle. And that kind of created a situation over a long period of time where as more time went on. His circle got tighter and tighter and tighter. And therefore that created certain silos within the organization. And when you speak to Jeff Gordon or when I did a year ago for this piece that I did about modernizing the Canadians and spoke to Kent Hughes, you know, shortly after that. There was so much talk about them harmonizing the different elements of the Canadians and the organization off the ice. And that's what you need in order to be a healthy, robust organization. And that leads to inevitably sustainable long term success that the Canadians are trying to build. And I think if you were to judge these guys, not necessarily based on the results you're seeing right now in an 861 record, uh, the most, the most, tangible thing that you could pull at to judge them on is how they have built out the organization and harmonized the different elements and how they've brought in analytics but those analytics people are working with the coaching staff on a daily basis and the development staff is on site on the ice with the coaching staff every day and so everybody's in the same room exchanging ideas. And I'm not saying that Mark Burgevank didn't have that type of organization around him where he welcomed opinions from this person or that person. But when it came to the key information, he kept a lot very close to the vest because he didn't want people like you and me putting it out there before he could get to the certain Mm -hmm. people out there. So it's just different management styles. And again, I thought Burge is a fantastic hockey evaluator mind uh the some of the moves he made were tr- were really tremendous from pro pro scouting personnel even on the amateur side they've done they did a lot of work that the canadians are benefiting from right now their biggest uh blind spot was development um and their philosophy yeah. of development and that has been the greatest emphasis um, of gordon and hughes and the people that they brought in maybe yeah because a it was a necessity that that be the focus and be because they just have a different philosophy on it. And we'll find out over time if it's the right one.
1: Yeah. And I know Trevor Timmons took a lot of heat from some, but as Jeff Gordon just said, Kate and that's a pretty good pick by them Uh, when he was picked. I mean, that was a great pick by Trevor Timmons, who, if you recall, Eric, and I'm sure you do took a lot of heat from a certain sector of the media here in the city, because uh, they didn't draft Hendricks LaPierre. Remember that? And Hendricks LaPierre had, um, a history of concussions and neck-related injuries and a medical file that was pretty extensive. And the Canadians were probably a little bit scared of it, but they knew what they were doing with Kate and Gouley. And we had, you know, um, Andre Tourigny on the program probably three or four weeks ago and who had a chance to coach him with the Team Cannon at the World Juniors. And he said that he was on the radio the next day and, or, or he was on the radio that night. And he said, this is the best pick the Canadians could have made this guy's the real deal. and I, I know you tweeted out uh, the amount of time that Kate and Gouley's been on the ice versus Sidney Crosby over the past couple of games. I think it's no coincidence that, um, you know, the games went the way they went. I mean, Gouley was absolutely unbelievable. Is there anything that Jeff Gordon said <clears throat> that most caught your attention? Because there's one thing that stuck with me. And I'll go first If while you think about it, was when I asked them, you know, are you starting to think that Doc is a winger and would you have made that trade knowing he would have been a winger? And he said, yeah, I would have made it anyway, but Doc's a center. Like he didn't even hesitate and he just, Doc's a center. And I know he struggles in faceoffs, but he's going to get it. And Doc is a center. And if you ask him where he wants to play, he wants to play with the best players. And right now the best players are another center, another winger, but it leads me to believe that when they go out and acquire more players, and maybe a couple of wingers. Doc's going back to center.
0: Well,
3: it's that stuck out to me specifically because I was on your podcast a week ago, and you were asking me about Doc center wing, and I was saying I yeah. still think, I still think they see him as a center, and that he has the ability to be a really good center because I think he has that ability to make players around him better. Uh, I think the biggest benefit of him playing with Suzuki and Caulfield on a personal side, obviously, is that. He has the ability to play with those guys and produce the level of points he's producing. But the real benefit is that he's gaining confidence and to see him assert himself and play at that level and prove um, that he is the player he believes himself to be will help him a great deal in his development at center when that time comes because he has that ability to make players around him better and he needs better players to play with for it to really shine through. And I'm not trying to knock some of the guys that he was playing with before because I think it was a pretty good fit with Sean Monahan. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, Sean Monaghan's a center. He, he's not yeah. all-winger. He has the versatility to play the wing. But, you know, everybody talked about Doc in the Pittsburgh win uh, over the weekend. And Sean Monaghan like the details in this guy's game and the simplicity with which he plays with and the way he drags the other guys into the fight and just the way he checks the boxes at both ends of the ice. That was like the most undersold aspect of that game, but also shows you exactly why they had the latitude to move Kirby doc up to the first line right now, play him on the wing because they have Monahan at center and that might not be a thing that lasts throughout the season, regardless of where the Canadians find themselves at the trade deadline. And I saw, you know, you asked me what caught my attention. It was how Jeff Gordon sidestepped that last question you asked him about, you know, if you guys are really competitive, would you consider yourself to be buyers? Um, And and I appreciate that he didn't answer that question because you have players that go to the wall and try to defy the odds and play uh as hard as they're playing on a nightly basis and don't care about the standings and care about the process and that process leads to a certain level of success you want to reward that effort you want to be able to go down to that room and say guys i I recognize what you're doing i'm going to try to help you Mm -hmm. certainly don't want to pull away from the group but i think no matter what happens because they want sustainability and long-term success um, and not just a one-off and one-shot. If, for whatever reason, this thing took off to a whole other level and they started to see a team that emerged mm-hmm. that could actually compete for the Stanley Cup, which I think is very far-fetched, maybe they'd go down that road. Yeah, but I think Sean Monaghan and, and there will be a chorus that, can, that will only rise yeah. in the fan base to keep this player around because he's an unrestricted yeah. agent and does so many things so well. I would suggest to you that no matter how well he plays and if he continues to play well, which I believe he will, he's going to get traded because he represents the, the best opportunity for them to recuperate the type of assets they want to have in order to build their team the way they want to build it. And yeah. that's, you know if for whatever reason Sean Monaghan goes somewhere else and the door opens up for him to come back and sign here because he loved his experience in Montreal, great. It rarely works out that way. When a player It rarely works out it. that way, yeah. But that's not going to get in the way of the Canadians recuperating the best possible asset for this type of player. And I could be wrong. Maybe they'll yeah. sell him and say that is the value to us is much greater than what it would yeah. be on the market. But if he keeps playing this way, Tony, I think oh, he's, the value
1: is going to be. Eric, he's a he's a very, very good, very smart player. And he reminds me of Dano in the respect that he's got to cut. Got, they gotta have the same smarts and they play a responsible game. I know Dano had a breakout season offensively last year. But Monad's best offensive seasons were even superior to that. So uh, he's a he's a really really uh, good player. Um, you know when he talked about Suzuki, and there's no doubt, eh? He's you know he's the number one centerman. I mean, th- there were some that had doubts when that contract was signed, and he brought it up too. He says, "I really wanted to pay attention to him because I knew the contract that he had just signed." So he was really watching Suzuki when he got here. But um, he talked about the level that Suzuki hit on, on Saturday night. So Luke Suzuki was unbelievable on Saturday night. He was unbelievable. So, he what's looked the, like, he look, looked like Sidney Crosby?
3: Like, what's the discussion around Suzuki right now in the fan base? Because our the, the fan base of the Montreal Canadiens is quite informed. And, you know, they're harping, you know, certain people outside of the fan base are hearing about the analytics, people saying, okay his shooting percentage right now is over 27%, it's over 50% in his last seven games or whatever it is. It's completely unsustainable. He will regress to the mean. He's been a career 12% shooter. Um and you know I took this to is I took I took this to Suzuki in the room and I said, you know, what would you say to the suggestion that you're mm-hmm. you know, you're shooting at an unsustainable rate and he said, well what it says to me is I'm not shooting enough. You know, there's games where I'm shooting once or twice a game, and that's not enough. What an answer that is, though. It, eh? Just it, it is because that
1: he thinks he thinks things differently than others. It right? is
3: because he's because he's not denying the reality that he's not going to continue to shoot at close to thirty percent and upwards of fifty percent and score on every second shot that he takes. But he's not conceding that he's going to score less, um, and and this is what I have always. Loved about Nick Suzuki from the first day he came to Montreal. Um, And like the first conversation I had with him, which I remember very clearly Mm -hmm. uh, about some amateur scouts that had turned to me and said, he doesn't play the game at 100 miles an hour and possibly never will. And this could be a knock on him. And he said, well, I don't need to play the game at 100 miles an hour. Um, You know, I'd rather beat a player with my smarts, assess a situation, um, you know, wait for them to come to me and beat them, going around them, change gears, whatever it is. Like, this kid, mm-hmm. who's now very much a man and has been mature beyond his years since day one of stepping into this white-hot marketplace, knows exactly how good he is and exactly how good he could he be. And he's known from day one. And, and, like, it's a great contrast to his personality because he comes off as someone who is so... Purely, like if you had a stamp of the Canadian flag, you could put mm-hmm. Suzuki's face on it. He is very humble. He will not go on and on about himself and his personal stats and what he's. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't believe in himself uh, to the degree to which he can produce the type of hockey we're seeing from him right now. And I, I was on with you, I don't know, it was a week or two ago where I said, I strongly believe that this player could could put up over ninety points in a season, and I think we've all a lot of people have looked at him and capped out at between seventy and eighty, um, and that that would be the max he would ever hit. Um, I don't know that he's going to sustain the type of production that we're seeing from him mm-hmm. throughout an entire season, but my belief has never been stronger that this guy is going to be an eighty to ninety to even a hundred point player at this level. Um, if not for one season, then over several. And and I'm not I'm not sitting here disillusioned or or under the illusion that he can sustain a 50% shooting percentage or a 30% shooting percentage. Yeah. Right but he is really smart in terms of his shot selection, and he has a incredibly deceptive shot and a very fast release. Yeah. Um, and the fact that he is both a goal scoring threat and a playmaking threat is a variety to his game that not a lot of players can play with from his position. And he plays both ends of the ice and takes pride in that. And he's 23 and only getting better. So yeah. Yeah. I agree with Jeff Gordon. He is a number one center
1: and um, he's going to turn into one of the best ones, I think, in this league. Well, this is what I know. I know that um, there have been great one, two punches in the history of the national hockey league, uh, obviously with Gretzky and Curry and Lemieux and Yager and Hull and Oates, and the list goes on and on, and Trotsy and Bossy. Um, it's been a while since the Canadians had a one-two punch, and Max Pacioretty always scored goals, but you know David D'Arna was his centerman for many, many years, and with all due respect to David, he had not hit that status, but Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield are an unbelievable one-two punch right now, and it looks like they can end up being an unbelievable one-two punch for the Montreal Canadiens for at least the next seven years yeah and you know there's a common trait between them and a common trait between
3: almost all the prospects that everyone is so excited about when it comes to the canadians and and it's a big part of the reason why martin st louis is having the type of success he's having because i remember him saying very early on if not his first press conference that it's the cerebral players that will really excel under his coaching style and if you really want to look at the best assets of all these players, and I think a lot of people would look at Caulfield and say, oh, it's his shot. It's his brain. Uh, Suzuki, same thing. Caden Gooley, same thing, although his skating is obviously elite. It's a mm-hmm. maker for him. Kirby Dock, same thing, the way he thinks the game. Um, you know, even a player like this year, who hasn't had that type of success and ends up in the minors and maybe at one point will come back is Rem Pitlick and the success he had last year under Marty St. Louis because he's a very smart player. Jake Evans, very smart player. Um, yeah, he's not producing points, but man, they don't beat Pittsburgh without him coming up with huge face-off wins in their own zone against Crosby in yeah. the first yeah. half of the game and um, just taking care of the little details and being a, a pretty good player for that. Like, there's there's all these players and the common trait among them is like their best asset is their their brain. And like Owen Beck will fit into that as we come along. Wayne Hudson
1: is another type of guy. Sean Farrell. Um, Did you see Jeff Gordon when I talked to him about Owen Beck? It's just... He's, it's just his Yeah, how life. could
3: you not be excited? You get a kid yeah. like that
1: in the second round, he dips out um, and... Uh, Who scored a hat-trick on the weekend, eh, by the way?
3: Yeah, he's not bad.
1: Yeah, uh, like, scored a, he <laughs> scored a hat-trick, Owen Beck.
3: Owen Beck also has it. A huge chip on his shoulder which is always a good trait for a player like he believed that he should have been a first round pick in the ohl draft and slipped people underestimated his offense um in this year's draft he believed he should have been a first round pick and everyone undersold his offense and nobody talked about his shot his shot is a lethal weapon Um, his shot which he exhibited at nhl training camp and through the preseason Mm -hmm. is not just an NHL shot. It is a quality NHL shot right now at this stage of his development. Um, And if he continues to use it to great effect in the Ontario Hockey League, that's a skill he's going to take up here in the National Hockey League, which I think he'll be playing in pretty soon. Um, I love Jeff Gordon's answer on on the player that he has what it takes to be a quality third line center, Um, but his ceiling is certainly above that. Um, I think a lot of people, are naturally saying, okay, great, if Doc is going to play the wing with those guys because that line works so well, then Owen Beck will automatically slot. The reality is he's likely to be a high-quality third-line center, but you shouldn't, if you're a manager or the executive vice president of hockey operations, put that ceiling on a player. Um, And I think the more Owen Beck hears that with the chip that he has on his shoulder – the more he's going to say to himself, you guys will see what I actually am. And I, I think he's showing it right now with Mississauga. He, he had a feeling before going back there that the NHL, he was, he was a healthy scratch for one of the games uh, naturally just this yes. preseason. He's not going to play every single one of them. Of course. Yeah. And um, I remember talking to him. I was like, what's the biggest thing like you're, you're taking here? And he's like, well, I was watching my junior team play, you know, um, the other night, like I was just, I was, I was watching my junior team. This was at first intermission. I was talking to Owen. Mm-hmm. and and uh, I realized how much time I actually am going to have with the puck, just from this experience, like just from playing at this speed, what is going to happen when I get back
1: there? Another, another very cerebral player too. And I think he won the academic player of the year award too in the yeah. OHL. And he was the best face-off man in the OHL. And you saw the behind the scenes coverage when they asked him, how good are you at face-offs best in the OHL? He's a very, very confident young man as well. L- listen, Eric, I know your ceiling. I know what you are. You're number one centerman on this podcast, on the Sick Podcast, because you make everyone around you better and you make the podcast better when you're on it. So I appreciate that. Thanks for joining me tonight, man.
3: Tony, it was fun. It was fun watching you with Jeff. It was a great interview, it was really interesting stuff. And, it, you know, I really think this is a guy who came here with a reputation of being very quiet, um, not a guy who likes to talk very much. And you got him answering some really interesting questions and giving some very thoughtful responses. He's a thoughtful, analytical guy. Yeah. Um, but it's not nece- it's not necessarily that everyone's going to get him out of that, and that's part of what you do well. And it was it was a joy watching that interview. I learned a lot.
1: Thanks, Eric. I appreciate the kind words. But we'll talk to you soon. Take care. All right. Once again, the sick podcast brought to you by Energy Transportation Group, by Eight Point Six Beer, and by Lacage. Special thanks. Uh, I want to thank the Montreal Canadiens for giving me the opportunity to speak with the Executive Vice President uh, or the Executive Vice President, Director of Hockey Operations of the Montreal Canadiens, Jeff Gordon, tonight for, what, over 40 minutes on a Monday night, which was an off night, and he left his home to do it from the Bell Center. Wow. So thank you to Jeff. Thank you to everyone there. And especially. Of course, thank you to Chantal Maccabe for coordinating it and uh, and uh, making it happen as well. Very much appreciate I know you loved it, and hopefully we can have a couple more of those right here on the SICK Podcast. Comment SICK, if you enjoyed the podcast. I hope you did because I gave it everything I have tonight, uh, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it. And once again, if you're going to be watching on Google, Apple, or Spotify, leave us a five-star review. That's our way of feeling the love. Until we do it again next time, we'll be back tomorrow night, same time. Actually, maybe a different time. It'll be, yeah, it'll be at around 10 o'clock. It'll be after the game, but about 10 o'clock, we should be good to go. Right here on YouTube, on Facebook, and on Twitter. And if you watch tonight on Facebook or on Twitter, subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's absolutely free. And tell your friends about it. Say, that guy, he's pretty sick. And so is his podcast. I'm Marinero. Good night. Thank you, Montreal.
2: And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow The Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. 8.6. Intense by nature. And Lakage. If the last time you went to Lakage was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you went back to Lakage. The menu will surprise you.